0: Well, what's going on, guys? All doing good? Yeah. Right, man. Uh, first of all, it's good to be back. Um, my name is pastor Felix. I'm the preaching pastor here at Impact City Church. In fact, I'm the only uh, kind of lead pastor out here at Impact City Church. You guys are like, why does he have to have a title? It doesn't matter. We don't do titles. We do purposes here. And so my purpose is to feed you guys and to stand by you guys and walk beside you in your walk of Christ. And I am so excited to be back. I'm kind of hyper right now. One, because of the coffee I've been drinking, and two, because I was out last week. I had to work, and uh, Fred Ader from San Antonio, Texas, from the BGCT, came down, and he spoke to you guys and preached to you guys. And uh, uh, just if he, he listens to the sermon every once in a while, y'all give him a round of applause and tell him thank you again for coming down here. Oh, you know, he is a good guy. He's a good friend of ours. Every time I've needed him, he stepped up, and even if it means driving two and a half hours south on 37, which is the most boring trip you probably could make. Um, He does it for us. Now, if you would, please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and uh, you can look it up online on facebook.com backslash Impact City Church. Uh, The scripture today is posted there already, and while you're there, you can go ahead and check into the the Impact City Church to let people know you're here. You can also look up, uh, of course, there's a Bible under your chair, and the scripture will be on the screen behind me here in just a little while, in just a little bit when we get going. Um, I'm excited you guys are here. Um, you know, Here at Impact City Church, we, um, we do things a little bit differently. We're kind of built around community and discipleship as a church. Uh, we're built around community and discipleship. We're built also to, to challenge, and we want to challenge and encourage everyone who is here at the church who is involved. And we do that in a couple of ways. Uh, the first way we do it is through discipleship. We're big on discipleship, the one-on-one um, guy versus, you know, guy with guy, meeting together, going through Scripture, pouring over each lives, figuring out what it is that God wants them to do in their life, and then leading them through that. We did that also through missional city groups. These are small groups that meet throughout the week in people's homes. They gather together. They have a meal together. They have time together where they discuss life and what is going on around them. They also are outwardly focused on the community around them, and each missional city group is focused on a certain area in this city, whether it is their neighborhood, like the one we do in Treyway, whether it is um, the area of ministry in music, whether it's you know, Jorge and, and the Canos do their missional city group, whether it's out in Anneville, or the Springs, and the Lozano's meet every uh, Wednesday night. They just change it to Wednesday at 630 but wherever it is, maybe maybe you want to gather as a group and say we want to focus on foster care. We want to focus on this certain element. We want to see groups that are planted throughout the city focus on certain ministries. Maybe your ministry is just to reach out to those who are not churched at all. Like completely not church. That is a missional city group that can meet, gather, reach out, and do something great. We also do it through Kids City, which is every Sunday morning here right in the back. If you have kids. This is where you can bring them over, they can hear Scripture. In fact, Sarah just is fixing to go through a Christmas, Christmas series with them right now. Uh, beyond that, they go through the Bible every year, uh, verse by verse, uh, through a children's storybook Bible. It's a great thing. And then we do it through expository preaching, which is verse by verse through the Bible. And we've done it through the book of Jonah, we've done it through the book of Mark, which took us two and a half years to do, and we also did it through the book of uh, Philippians not too long ago. We just finished that up a couple of weeks ago. And so there's many different ways that we do that here. But today, today I want to just kind of pull off to the side of the road uh, before we start our Christmas series next week. And I want to just kind of give you guys a little just a sermon off the side uh, to get a, kind of bridge us into the Christmas season. Uh, next week we'll be starting a, a new series called Adore. Uh, and you're like, well, no, I thought that was a Christmas and craft fair. No, it's actually going to be also our Christmas series as well called Adore, and uh, just kind of ties into all of that. And so you don't want to miss any of that. Four weeks in a row we'll be going through it, leading all the way up to New Year, uh, Christmas Eve. It's going to be great. And so if you guys are ready, I'll just go ahead and shut up right now, and we'll get going. Okay, guys, we good? Thank you. So today, we're going to find Jesus calling out another disciple of his into the ministry, okay? Now, when we last... Um, saw Jesus he was doing some great things he was healing people he was calling people out fishermen from the boats and he's doing some really important things okay but this scripture that we're fixing to get into in Mark chapter 2 the more I've read it the more I would just started seeing that there's some importance to this scripture that is really important to us there, there's something that is about it that that normally I would just kind of pass through but the more I've read it the more importance I saw in it for us today okay because in this story Jesus is actually going to say one of the toughest things that he says in the Bible. And he says some pretty tough things, but in this story, it's one of the, the most important things, the most toughest things he's ever said. He says something that, well, it might offend some of us here today. And it might actually upset some of us here today. And that's okay. That's okay. It's okay to be upset and, and have your spirit turned over by Jesus. That's what you want. That's how things get changed in your heart. But in essence, what Jesus says to us today is that the way we see our sinfulness will show whether or not we are actually saved. That the way we view our sin and the opinions that we have about what we do and how we do it and the way we we live our life, the way we sin, the way we view our sinfulness will show the world whether or not we are saved and actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's a pretty gut-wrenching thing to hear. Because a lot of us just want to know it. A lot of us just want to believe it and then just walk away from it. A lot of us just want to say the prayer and just be done with it. But it's beyond that. No, Jesus says the way you view sin will determine whether or not I am living in your heart. Now, most of us have a pretty messed up view of how we see sin. In fact, most of it is pretty unbiblical. For example, there's two people in the room today, not physically two people, but two kinds of people in the room today, that you might fall into one of these categories. The, the first group of people who, who might be in the room today are people like, that view sin like this. They're very aware of their sin. They know they are sinful. They know they do things that are not right in the eyes of God. They know that the things that they do are wicked and shameful. They know that those things are wrong. Okay, And that person is very aware of that sin. And this person might be the person that might have hesitated to come to church today because they thought that God knows their sin and He knows what they do. And how can they walk into a church and be loved and welcomed because of their sin? How can God receive someone that filthy, that dirty, that wrong, that sinful and still be able to come to church and be welcomed into a place like that? I want to tell you that that that's not the picture that what the Bible is going to paint for us today. That's not the truth. The other group of people that might be in the room like this is this type of people. You know you're a sinner. like you, you, you understand you're bad. You get it. But you just don't think you're that bad. Like You know you're bad, but you're not as bad as the next guy. or You're not as bad as the person across the room from you. You know you're a sinful person, but in all reality, the stuff you do is minimal compared to the stuff that other people do. And in essence, eh, it's not that bad. And you're the type of person that you read the scripture that says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you get that, but it's just, it's not all about you. That cannot be really that bad. And as a result of your thinking, you feel as if God's grace for you is really not that important. Like, it's there, but it's it's not that important. Like, okay, I know I need God's grace, but I'm really not that bad. Why doesn't God give more grace to those who are doing more sinful things than me? You don't realize how much you really do need God's grace in your life. You think you're okay. I always use the analogy. You got two types of people who are lost, and they're out in the middle of the ocean. One of them lands on a deserted island with no food, no water, nothing to drink, and they are desperate in need of a rescue. That is the person who knows he is sinful and desperately wants Jesus Christ. Then you have the other person who is lost in the middle of the ocean, lands on Cabo San Lucas, and he is among the great bars and the drinking and the parties and the girls in bikinis, and he's like, yes, I like this place. I don't even need to be rescued. But He is equally lost, but he doesn't feel like he needs to be rescued. That's the type of person that knows they're lost, but doesn't really feel like they need to be rescued. That's the type of person that we read here today. This is the scripture that, that will speak to that today. So let's go ahead and read through this today. Uh, Mark chapter 2, Then we'll go ahead and break it down and see how it applies to our life. Mark chapter 2, you in verse 13. Verse 13 says this, And he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he was saying to him, Follow me. And he arose, and he followed him. He arose and he followed them. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with him, with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was with, eating with sinners and with tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but the sinner. Now let me just kind of paint the picture here for you guys. Let me just kind of paint what's going on here. Jesus comes on the scene with Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and he's walking up. And if you remember, these are the guys, if you've been to Sunday school, you know that these are the guys... That were in the boat fishing with their dad, and Jesus says, "Come, follow me." And they came. And they 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 left their dad and they started following Jesus. These are the guys that were that were the first called by Jesus, and they're walking alongside the water. These guys were fishermen, and that's important to remember for the next part of this story. That they were fishermen, and as they're walking along the water, Jesus goes straight up. To this tax collector booth. There's a, there's a tax collector, and he's down by the beach, he's down by the water, and Jesus is walking by, and he's, he eyeballs him, and he just beelines straight for him. And let's pause there for a moment. Because the first time I, I read this scripture, I thought, well, that's, that's, that's nothing. He's just a tax collector, just part of the story. And in fact, it, it jumps really quick. It says that he called him out of the tax collecting booth, and he went and followed him. Okay, that's fine. But let's break that down even more. Because the first part of this scripture speaks to those who are aware of their sin but feel unworthy about God's presence in their lives because of their sin. Now, why do you think that the Bible mentioned that they were by the water? Why was that? Because a little history story uh, lesson here, Levi, which is Matthew, was by the water because more than likely he was collecting taxes from the fishermen that were in the lake and the ocean next to them. He was, whenever they would go fishing, they would come out, they would bring their, their, their catch and whatever they caught for the day, and they would pay a certain tax to the tax collector there at the edge of the beach, and they would have to give it back to him. Now you can imagine the thought that's going through their minds. As Jesus walks up, to Levi, Andrew, Peter, John, and James, the guys who were fishermen, as, as he's walking up to, to Levi, you can imagine what's going on, they're like, why is he going up to the one that is collecting taxes? What, what significance does that hold in this ministry that we're trying to accomplish here, okay? And the reason for, for them thinking that, the reason for them kind of being upset with that, is because they probably did not like the tax collectors of the day. They probably did not like uh, Levi and Matthew, okay? And the reason why is because back in the day, the Roman Empire was conquering lands all over the place. And when they would conquer a land, what they would do was they would have to have money to, to fund the army and money to fund the governments that they were going to put in play there. And the way they would fund all those governments is they would go to the land, they would call out a, a, a native of the land, in this case a Jew, and they would give them the job to collect taxes to pay to Caesar, to pay back to Rome. Y'all training with me here on this, right? And so as he's doing that, as they have people to do that, they were actually believed to be traitors in their own Jewish town. Because Jewish people were like, these guys are the most crooked people out there. They are traitors against the Jewish culture. And in fact, they were known to be crooked because they would actually tax people above and beyond what the Roman Empire wanted so that they can have a little extra off the top for themselves. So if your tax is actually $10, they would charge $15, they would pocket five. These people were the number one sinful people in the area, according to the Jewish people. So you can see as as the other disciples are walking up, they feel as if Jesus is probably going to go and start tearing into this tax collector, should start ripping him up. That's not what he does. No, what he does is something opposite. Here in verse 14, it says this: And as he passed by. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, "Follow me." And he arose and he followed him. Jesus walked right up to the guy and while he is in the tax booth, while he is receiving wages and taxes of hardworking people, while he is literally in the act of sinning, and he says, "I want you." I want you. You're the one I want. I know you're in the middle of doing something wicked and wrong. I know you're in the middle of a sinful act, but I want you. And that's incredible for us today. It's incredible for us to know that Jesus doesn't not only look at the righteous, he doesn't look at the people who are clean and perfect. Jesus looks at those of us who are dirty and messed up. And even if we are still sinning, he has died for us. And he calls us. But there's something even more important about this, this situation here. Is that the Bible does not mention that Matthew or Levi has any um, you know, crisis of conscience, any, any conflict of, of morality in this moment. No, he's in there. He's doing a good job. Everything is fine. His life is probably great. He's probably got everything he wants in life because he's making money off the taxes. He's got the biggest house in the area. He's got the best camel, the most state-of-the-art you know, type of things that he can buy, the best thing, gold, jewelry. He's got great family. Everything is good. He has a good job, good money, comfortable life. No concerns for how he is living. And yet, Jesus straight up calls him into ministry right then and there why is that important for us here today? Why is that important for us to know? It's important for us to know because if what is holding you back from following Jesus, if what is holding you back from serving Jesus, if what is holding you back from, from integrating yourself into a church body and becoming a member of something bigger and better than yourself, if what is holding you back from worshiping Jesus, the King of the universe, if what's, if what's holding you back is the fact that you know you have sin in your life, and you feel as if you're in that tax booth, and you were sinning, and everything just feels great, and finally, you finally have no crisis of conscience. if what is holding you back is the fact that you know you're wrong in what you do, and you feel like you're not good enough to be around God, I want to tell you again, that is not what Jesus is showing us here today. If that's what's holding you back, and there's no reason to hold you back. The picture of what the Bible is painting here is that there is an almighty, perfect God who is loving and just, and despite our falls, despite our shortcomings, despite the fact that we sin time and time again, despite the fact that we keep going back to the life that he has called us out of, that He still loves you and sees you as someone of great importance for His mission. That's awesome. The fact that every single person here has a purpose and God's ultimate plan to redeem this world should move you and shake you to the core. Now don't get me wrong. He called them out of the tax booth, okay? He didn't say, hey, you can continue to be a tax collector and serve alongside me. No, he said, get out of that life. Leave that life. Follow me. But the point I want to drive home here today is this, that you do not have to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, and he will clean you up because he loves you. Now, the Bible talks by another group of people as well. They say, um, they're the people that say, okay, I, I've been good, okay? And so, of course, God loves me, okay? I, I, I'm also a good person. I've, I'm not sinful. I know I, I, I'm not, I know I don't sin. I know I'm perfect. This is the person who's probably been in church for years in their life, and they think everything is, is grand and good, and they don't have to mess up, or they don't do anything wrong, okay? I've done this, I've done that, but because I'm a good person, I know that God loves me. And don't get me wrong, obedience is a good thing. The Bible teaches us that no matter how good we may be, no matter how good we may feel we may be, we must never forget the constant need that we have for a Savior. That we cannot forget and get laxed in believing that everything is good. We don't live in a Lego world and everything is not awesome, okay? We cannot just believe that everything is good. We have to understand that we need a Savior constantly in our lives. Jesus has called you out of the tax booth Okay, But he might, you might fall again and you're going to need him to rescue you in that again. Because here's what the story teaches us today. That if you are saved today, you were in the tax booth at one time in your life. And Jesus saved you, not because you were a good person, but because of the grace and mercy that he had in, on you. And we read it here in Romans. We hear it in Romans 5.8. You don't have to turn there. You can look it up on the screen if you want. But Romans 5.8 says, But God showed us his love that in god showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners christ died for us since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of god for while we were enemies while we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more now are we reconciled shall we be saved by his life. What Scripture is saying to us here today, that those of us who were saved at one time, we were all sinful. That those of us who were here and have a relationship with Christ, you at one time were a sinner, whose sin demanded payment for that sin. And even though you were called, there was a great need, there was a great need in that day for Jesus. To save you from God's wrath. Ephesians uh, 2.1, Paul makes it even more clear to us. He says, and you were dead and your trespasses and sins, in which you were once walking, following the course of the world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like all of mankind. Now a lot of us read that verse and we see that is not about me. How can that be about me? I am a good mom. I'm a good person, I'm a good mother, I, I, I care for my kids, I care for my family. I'm a good dad, I provide, I, I'm a good provider, I work hard, I, I do the things that I'm supposed to do for a family, I do the things I'm supposed to do in life, I, I get along with people. I'm a good person. But the scripture literally says that we all, were carrying out the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body and of, and of the mind, and we're by once nature children of wrath. Verse 3 says that we were all once passionate about our flesh, carrying out desires of our body. That scripture uh, ended there. That would be, we'd be in big trouble, right? but it doesn't. It continues. The scripture goes on in chapter, and verse 4, it says, but God, it says that we were all like the rest of mankind, children of wrath, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of great love in which he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, because by grace you have been saved. The word grace means unmerited, undeserving gift of God. So this is telling us that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done or what you still do, no matter what you did before you walked into church today, no matter what you did last night, no matter how often you do it, no matter what's been given to you or what you've earned in life, no matter how wealthy you think you are or how established you are, no matter where you are on the social, economical scale of of where economy lands, no matter what you do, no matter how many dollars you have poured into various different charities and organizations, no matter how many old ladies you help walk across the street, it does not matter unless you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It does not matter. You're still a child of wrath and not even a good person in the eyes of God. In other words, you still suck. But God. But God. It is so critical that we get to that moment today. That we get to that understanding that we need Jesus. The, the but God. That, that, that we were this. That we were messed up. But God. That we need that. That he needs to come in. But God. We need to realize how messed up. We are apart from Jesus and how much we need Him. Because Jesus is about to say something that you will never hear probably preached in church. Listen here to Mark 2, verse 15. 15 says, And as He reclined at the table in His house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and He was there with His disciples and many who followed Him. Now imagine the scene here. Just kind of just trying to paint this for you guys. Jesus was there. Now, who were the sinners in the room? Like, who are the people that, that Jesus is eaten there? The Bible says that he, he got there. There were many sinners that came into the place. Now, sinners are a wide span of people. They could be people who are just simply good people but love to gossip a lot. And then he can even go into something more. It could be people who are good people or maybe just sinful people. Maybe they love to, to drink a lot and they're drunkards. But maybe they're people who are into food, they're gluttons, and they're, they're the people that, that are so into, they, they worship that more than Jesus. Maybe they're, they're prostitutes, or adulterals, or criminals, people who steal, who, who, are, who are on record for aggravated assault. Those are the people who are around Jesus. The type of people you don't want your kids around all the time. These are the people that Jesus was sitting around. And then verse 16 goes on to say, And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that He was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, said to the disciples, Why does He eat with tax collectors and sinners? I like how tax collectors is like a whole separate category from sinners. It should make you understand the depth of Levi's wicked heart. That people are sinful, but tax collectors are like above that sin, you know? So why does He eat with tax collectors and sinners? these church people roll into town and they see there's a a big dinner and they walk up to their house and they look through the window, they look through the door and there's Jesus, the spoken Messiah, the one that people believe is the one to come, the one the Pharisees know is kind of of gaining support and and momentum in this whole uh, mission that He is going on and they see Him with sinners and tax collectors and they are appalled by it. They're appalled by it. I know what it's like to be appalled by someone, right? I know what it's like to be appalled and just moved by someone in, in the room? Like, ladies, every time that that girl walks in to church with that short skirt on, and you're like, I can't believe she's dressing like that in the house of God. Lord Almighty, bless her heart. And you sneer, and you, you talk about her, maybe you get with your little women's group, you're like, oh my gosh, can you believe her? Ah, but I guarantee you that there are people who we have had here in this church before. We've had girls who have dressed like that because of a nightlife and the kind of style that they've done before, and that's just natural to them. That's also what they do. But they probably have given more financially than many other of those women, because they know they need Jesus, because they know they need a place to call home. And guys, you're not off the hook either, man. You're maybe you're the type of guy that you're sitting there and you, and you look at the guy who walks in, the homeless guy walks in the church and sits in the back row because he doesn't feel welcome to sit next to you and your kids. Maybe he's the guy that doesn't smell very good. Maybe he's the guy that you know he's, he's on drugs and sometimes he, you see him here and he looks good uh, on Sundays and then sometimes you see him on Tuesdays or Wednesdays on the middle of Staples and he know he's lit up. And you know that, that you're the type of guy that when he walks in the room you might hold your kid just a little bit closer. Or maybe you're the type of guy that says, he can sit in the back, I'm going to sit in the front, and you're like, I know that maybe I should invite him to come sit with me and my family. Maybe I should go, hey, hey, come over and sit with us. I want, we want to welcome you to this church, come sit with us. But you don't. And I can tell you that those junkies usually serve and are more obedient to the church than many people who believe they are good. Those are the people that actually end up becoming leaders here at Impact City Church. It ain't easy what they do. And Jesus says that if that is how you feel towards someone else, then maybe you should be careful because it says a lot about your heart and where you are in my relationship with Jesus hears these thoughts about the Pharisees and what they're saying, and He says this the Pharisees. kind of bucks up against them. He says, and when He heard it, in verse 17, He said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now that right there says, does not the person who is sick, that, who is well to a doctors, it's the person who is sick that needs the great physician. It's the person who is in need that, that I need to be around. I don't call the righteous. I call the sinners. Here's what that means. that Why do you go to a doctor? You go to a doctor not because you're sick. Because everyone gets sick. I remember when I was a kid and I would get sick. My family didn't just take me to the doctor every time I got sick. A lot of people, you guys take kids to the doctor for every little thing. Y'all need to like, like really suck it up buttercup. The kid's going to be okay. Like when I was a kid and I would fall and I would like scrape my knee or I would start feeling, you know, sick, my mom would bust out the, the Mexican brujia so She such Santa sale carita de rana and she tried to, to cure me. You don't go to the doctor because you're sick, because nine times out of ten, you can probably get something over the counter and take care of it yourself, okay? You don't go to the doctor because you're sick. You go to the doctor because you cannot take care of yourself. It's something that's above your control. It's something that you cannot take care of, okay? I'm sorry, but you can't do stitches on an arm. If you don't know how to do that, okay? Some people need to go to the doctor for that. Some people need to go to the doctor because they have a pain in their side and they think it's just, you know, bad tamales or something, but it's really like appendicitis or something like that. They go to the doctor because there's something that they cannot take care of themselves. That's why you go to the doctor. You go to the doctor because you cannot take care of yourself. You need outside help. And what Jesus is saying is that everyone needs a doctor. Everyone needs the great physician. Because everything that everyone suffers from, which is sin, cannot be handled by themselves. They need me. Jesus says that everyone needs this doctor. But not everyone will come to this doctor. Because there are some of us who believe we can help ourselves. And the last thing he's saying is it's pretty haunting here. It says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, and not only, not only is he calling that the prostitutes will be saved, not only is he calling the thieves and the murderers will be saved, no, he's saying that the only ones that need them are those who are sinful, those who are sinful from top to bottom. The ones who are deeply profound and incapable of doing good, these are the ones... Who will be saved? The ones who are incapable of doing things good for themselves. It's huge for us today. Are we trusting in God for our self righteousness? Are we trusting in God or are we trusting our self righteousness to save us? And I want to end with this parable in Luke, Luke 18, 9 through 14. It goes like this. He says, He also told this parable. The son who trusted them in themselves and who were righteous and treated others with contempt. People who think they have it all together. That's so what he's saying. He, he talks about these people who think they have it all together. Those of us who think our lives are just perfect. Who think our lives are good. We think because we can afford to go on vacation or we can afford to pay for college, we can afford to, to do this or we have our kids in a private school we do we do this or that. We live in a gated community. We think we're good. It says a parable about people like that. It says, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, and even like this tax collector. Dude, what kind of gall do you have to talk about the guy next to you? Like, God, I'm so glad I'm not like this guy over here. So, God, so thank you. He says, God, thank you. I'm I'm, I'm not appalling. I'm not nasty. I'm not filthy. I'm not not sinful. Thank you. I'm not like those other people. Then he goes on to say, I fasted twice a week. I give my tithes and all that I gave. He says, look, God, look at all the things I do. God, thank you so much and, and, and thank you for that. I'm not like them. And On top of that, look at all the good things I do for you. I tithe. I tithe faithfully. I have above and beyond my tithe. I give financially. I give my, my, my time. I serve the church all the time. I'm not like those other people. I even fast twice a week. Look at me when I fast, Lord. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going without food to show you that I put you first in my life. But then the tax collector starts to pray. In verse 13 says, But the tax collector, standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat at his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He says, I tell you that this man, Jesus says, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. He says, the Pharisee who was praying these beautiful prayers about all the good things he has done was not even justified by God. That's hard to hear. But that this man this man who said, be merciful to me, a sinner. A simple prayer. Just guy have mercy on me. said, so that man was justified. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus says that these two guys went into the temple and only one of them came out justified. The one who needed him the most. Church, we cannot clean ourselves up. There is nothing that you can do in this life that makes you any better than anyone else in the eyes of God. The only thing that you can do to even put you in a place of familiarity with Christ is to surrender your life to Jesus wholeheartedly, every bit of it, every aspect of it, every area of your life, give it to Christ. If you never get to that point, you will never truly know Jesus. You may flirt with him and you might enjoy certain aspects of Jesus, the things that make you feel good, the fact that Jesus says that he would take care of you, and you're like, yes, I need you to take care of me, but you never give over the fact that, you want, that he wants you to, to make him his, your Lord in life, that every part about your life needs to be under his authority. Until you do that, you will not fully know Jesus. You want him to get you through the storms, but you don't want him to get you through the, cloudy, the, the sunny days because you feel like you can do it yourself. You want Him to guide you through the darkness, but as soon as the light comes on, I don't even need you anymore, Jesus. We have got to get to the point where the need for Jesus is more important than the need of anything else in our life. I'm sad to say that many of us, unless we try, will probably never get there in life. Because we get distracted by things in life. We get distracted by the things that, that glitter, the things that shine. We get distracted by by things like like like, like really good jobs. And we get distracted by all the wealth and the, and the success of having a big old home. And we get distracted by all the good things. And those things are good. Like don't get me wrong. I love nice houses. I love nice big Four-by-four four trucks. I'm obsessed with, with, you know, y'all know my firearm obsession. I love buying guns. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an avid tactical guy. And those things cost money. And there's nothing wrong with those things by themselves. But when we start putting those things above Jesus, that's when it's wrong. And many of us will never even reach that point. Because we're too focused on being distracted by other things. We're distracted by relationships. We'd rather pursue an imperfect person here on earth and pursue a perfect, loving God. Many of you have been hurt by relationships, and I see it time and time again where you jump back into another relationship with an imperfect person doing the exact same thing again. Follow Jesus. He will provide the things that you need in your life. Trust Jesus and he will bring the perfect person to walk alongside you, the person, perfect person that he is called to be with. Understand that you need Jesus more than anything else in this life. Understand that he is more valuable to you. That after everything else in this world fades away, he is the one thing that is going to remain in this life. Let's pray. Father God, is the... Uh... As you bow our heads today, we just kind of repent right now. Lord, we need repentance. And as the band's making their way up and they start, they start playing the song, Lord, we just know that we need you. We know we need you more than ever. Lord, thank you for today and thank you for all that you do. Lord, forgive us for trusting in other things more than you. Lord, forgive us and trusting in the things that give us physical comfort, the instant comfort that we that we desire right now. Lord, forgive us for putting more heart and time into those things than we do you. Lord, especially going into this holiday season, Lord, we're going to be distracted by so many beautiful things. But all of those things are short compared to the glory that you have for us. As we get into the holiday season and we start to reflect in our lives and what you have given us, may we give thanks for the one thing that you gave us that means more to us than anything else, which is your Son, Jesus Christ. And we give thanks to him, but we understand that he is the one thing that will remain. Through the storms of this life, through the the ups and downs of this life, through the through the times that you feel good, to the times that you feel bad, the one thing that is constant and steady would be your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you do not have that relationship with Him, that that strong relationship that says, "I know I am a sinful person. I know that I am wrong. But Lord, You called me out of the tachy. You called me out of the life of sin to pursue You. Lord, You called me into a life that is that is going to be just following You first and putting You first in every aspect of my life. Lord, thank You for that. Lord, may You just may you just, just surrender to Him today. Lord, thank You for everyone." Who is here today who believes in that? But for those who are lacking in that, may you just, may you just believe in that today. Jesus Christ died for you. He'll give you a life everlasting. Something bigger and better than yourself to call you out of that life of sin and into the life of mission and ministry with him. Lord, we pray all these things in your son's precious name, all God's people said. Amen. Let's stand and worship.